And anytime you hear the term hazardous waste, just think dollar signs. Yeah, because right. to do it right, you're going to have to hire a company that specializes in that. And then they are going to have to dispose of it properly. And none of that stuff is cheap. It's going to be hazardous to your right. bottom line. Of course, you could hire Jimmy with a pickup truck to maybe come and do it. But that's not the right Don't thing. Do it. Yeah. Don't do it. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast, Heather. It's so great to be here once again. I know. Now, it doesn't look different, but we're in a different place, aren't we? We are. We are. Probably about 10 minutes away from where we were before, but uh, I guess it looks the same to you. And hopefully it sounds the same. I know. That's what I'm, I'm most curious about, you know, like <laughs> figuring out the, the new studio. But this one has room to grow, so it'll be changing. It'll be changing, It'll be expanding, yes. and it's about double the size, an actual studio yep. for us. We were going to do kind of a whole makeover, but that was a little too ambitious. We decided we'll just get the move done, get it set up exactly as we were, and then we can do changes as we want to do. We uh, will do a whole new makeover, we but will. it's going to take longer. We always think that, though. Like, okay, we'll get that. It'll, this will be done. This will be done. And then life catches up. And Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're a little too <laughs> ambitious with your goals, but I guess it's better than the other side of things, not being ambitious enough. Right? right, right. So what are we talking about today? Well, today we are going to talk about adding value to land, value add for land. So, I mean, in real estate, a lot of times people think of adding value, fixing, flipping, you know, residential real estate. It's pretty straightforward in those type of situations. Normally you buy a junker home, home that needs a lot of work. You put in the renovations and then it's worth more. In land, it's not exactly the same. You don't fix up these properties in the same type of way. But there are a number of things that you can do to add value in a lot of these properties. And uh, that's what we're going to be discussing today. So you gave me some notes. Right. Where right. Did, did you want to do uh, current events like you normally do? Or are I you mean, just skipping over that segment? You know what? Now? It's kind of weird. Like I was thinking about that, but I think it's just the same time. You know what we're talking about? Okay. Since you invited me to talk about this. Remember we were, we were on a walk and I was talking about how like the... From what I'm understanding is these kind of ghost towns that were like the boom towns before the pandemic and now after, they're kind of like ghost towns in the sense of commercial space and stuff like that. So I, I think everything is still hinged on commercial mm -hmm. because yeah. interest rates are still high. You know, I think people are are understandably cautious right this second because of the debt ceiling and the agreement they're trying to work out and all that kind of stuff. So there's like a lot of things at play, which I think it'll get worked out. It always does. Big picture but, type stuff, I guess. Right. Um, but anyway, so like they're talking about how a lot of the housing has come back. So people are, are moving back into these towns, but these people are still keeping their flexible work schedules so they don't have to go into an office. So how does that, you know, and people are throwing around like, well, maybe the government should be incentivizing companies to force people to come back. And I'm like, that sounds like horrible. And that's like, to me, that's like anti-government. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's been a fundamental shift, whether people want to recognize that or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, things have changed. Technology has changed. And there was obviously the pandemic, which caused people's patterns to change. And their priorities. Right. Their priorities. So right. I think there's a way to do both. It doesn't mean that things have to go back to exactly the way they were. Things evolve, like, like everything. So the kind of work situation for a lot of people has changed. Obviously, some people, they can't do their jobs remotely, right. you know, service-based. I want my anything. doctor there 
Exactly. You know, yeah. like if I'm having surgery. But, but even them, <laughs> a lot of them have embraced, you know, oh. uh, Zoom type mm-hmm. appointments. Which when is it so makes much sense. more efficient, it's I think. It's more efficient for everyone. Right. You know, when you think about the environment, we're not getting out there in the road and, you know, burning fossil fuel to get to these appointments mm-hmm. unnecessarily. I mean, I look at things in, in real estate transactions. One of the big things are, um, you know, when we have to get documents notarized, I, I always think about this because we're in California. Mm-hmm. We have to get documents notarized when we're selling properties. So what happens is they email us the docs, we print them out, we get a notary to come out here and we sign the documents, but then we've got to FedEx them or UPS them back to, you know, the other side of the country. But uh, there are services now, online notaries, where you can just basically do it on your computer and then you email the docs back. So when you think about just the impact on things, you know, the, I know it's just one letter or something like that, but that's one letter. It doesn't have to get physically moved from one side of the country to the other in 24 hours. I well, mean, there's got to be some sort of impact there. Yeah. And it's super like you have to have a notary come out here or you have to go to a notary mm-hmm. and then it has to be, then we have to drive it to, you know, the delivery like UPS or FedEx or something. And then they have to get it and you need it overnight. So that means it's going to be on a plane. Right. It's not like it's just going to be, you know, a low electric car taking it anywhere. Right. Then it's on a plane and then it gets delivered to that station. Then it's sorted. Then it's delivered. There's a lot of things. Whereas if you could just do it here from the computer, it makes a lot more sense. They can, then there's no printing even involved. Right. Things will evolve. I mean, mm-hmm. that will eventually be adopted. It's already adopted in some areas, but some areas will eventually will adopt that technology. And, um, you know, so it's the same with everything, like the work from home or the work in person type balance is going to be evolving as well. And I think I think people that are trying to force things to go back to the way they were, they're going to be fighting an uphill battle because the technology has changed. People's work patterns have changed. And uh, so those that kind of can Evolve. come up with creative solutions to, yeah. to maybe reuse that or repurpose those spaces are going to be the ones that really profit well. And that's what we're talking about, too, that it doesn't have to be like maybe there needs to be rezoning. Mm-hmm. You know, some of these big office buildings are set up as suites or whatever. They could be housing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there, there's a huge housing crisis. So it just makes sense that we, you know, consider that. Maybe the incentives go to or towards the owners of these properties to reimagine their usage. That's that's probably you know? a way to do it. If, if people are looking for any sort of government involvement, it could be, you know, giving in, uh, tax incentives or something, mm-hmm. some sort of financial incentives for these owners to, Think about repurposing these spaces. Right. And if they're going to stick to, you know, strictly the retail or, or whatever, they need to be experiential too. Like mm-hmm. big on that. Like it's just, it's kind of a dying breed having these big office buildings for a lot of companies mm-hmm. and a lot of the workers. And if you want the top workers, a lot of them don't want to have to report eight to five or right. nine to five, or I don't even know. I don't even remember what the, yeah. the timing nine to is. Five. So. You don't but remember that, you know, nine to five. that's, that's yeah. exactly what like popped in my head. Okay. So, well, but first oh. of all, well, I think what you're trying to say is if you think that you are an A player in the space and you could reimagine these type of spaces, reach out to me. Maybe we could be a member of my, our team and we can work to do it together. Yeah, I know. That's what, that's what you really want to do. Seriously though, if you have that, uh, that creative thinking, think outside the box, I think, yeah, you're ready to jump into that space for sure. Yes. Okay. I can't do it all myself, but no. I need I need great people that can kind of do some of those things. And I think that's kind of how we've evolved. It's mm-hmm. and like we're saying, like, oh, we're gonna get this whole thing done and we didn't because you know, it was like, well, we need to at least get a, a podcast out there. So in our minds, we're realizing that if we want to get all these things done, we have to have the right people. Yeah, the right people for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Okay. So back to these notes you gave me for okay. Um, it says um, value add improvements, value yeah. add. Okay, you already talked about yeah, this. Yeah, so uh, I kind of set it up that, you know, we can go over this kind of list of the basic value add improvements, and then I'll kind of break them down one by one afterwards. So, okay. So 
we can do that. So you want me to, okay. So you're saying, here's the things that you wrote there. The typical ad tactics with land. Value add. Value add. I I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Maybe I had to No, no, it was me. Like leaving off that one word kind of changed it. Yeah. So you, okay, you go into, you want me to read the whole thing? Yeah, just read off the list and then we'll break them down one by one. Okay. So you're talking about surveys, um, getting a survey done, perk test done, brush clearing, lot splits, infrastructure, trash debris removal. That's a big one. Access improvements, fencing, feasibility study, permits, oil, gas, mineral search, changing zoning and annexation. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with surveys. Yeah. Surveys. That's a, that's a kind of a, uh, in some areas, that's a very common type of value add type situation. Do you think that's the one we do the most off? Well, that and perk tests, Perk tests, brush clearing are the, are the most common that we do. But a survey is one of those things that, especially if, you know, some of these properties have been in a family for, for many, many years and they each have what they call legal description on the deed. And this legal descriptions very uh, considerably based off of how long ago they were done. Now, in some of these really, really old legal descriptions on the deeds, they're really funny. It says like, you know, this property goes from starting at the the large rock on John Smith's field, uh, on the southeast corner mm. of John Smith's field. What if John Smith 30, moved that yeah, rock? 34 <laughs> paces to the other uh, tree stump. I, I'm, you know, oh, yeah, I know. Tree it's, stumps are common in right. these, legal descri- these really old legal descriptions. Yeah, but obviously. people didn't, like, clear those big trees right. back then. Like, even if they were doing, like, farming, if it was, like, a big, you know, that would be where you'd have your picnic. So that, that would have been a landmark. They can't right. imagine it coming down. Right. And then these tree stumps, you know, obviously they degrade over mm-hmm. time. So who knows, you know, what's, what's Which there. Tree stump? So yeah. you actually can create value in a property with a really old legal description. And sometimes when you're buying a property, sometimes you're actually required to do a survey. They now, just can't use that. Yeah. And, and basically surveys, you hire a licensed surveyor who generally works a pretty small geographic area. They're used to that area and what's what's common for that area. And they'll go out and mark, set the corners of the property. Um, they will record a map with the county generally and provide you that map as well. But but just defining those, you know, those lines on the property and defining the, the legal description of the property adds a little bit of value. Now, we don't typically do that unless it's required or mm-hmm. or there's just a big need and we do them for lot splits as well but we'll get to that later. yeah that's what but, i was thinking of but and a yeah. lot of times a surveyor is a buyer is a buyer expense in many of these areas but sometimes it does come into play so right i think if it's at all iffy if you know you have a really good piece of land but maybe it is a little like unclear like is this on this or or if there it looks like someone's encroaching yep. like before you buy it you might do that too we just and i don't even know if you know this but we just spent eleven thousand dollars on a survey on a property we're buying and we don't even own it yet right and we, and, will, and we talk about that but that's a risk you take mm-hmm. we could lose eleven thousand dollars if it I mean, if we're at the point of actually doing that, it's highly unlikely. Right. But the benefit always the risk. Exactly. Okay. Let's move on to perk test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's move on to it, Heather. I just love talking about perk test. <laughs> perk test. Okay. Perk test is essentially, it's almost like a, uh, a soil test to mm-hmm. make sure that the property is suitable for a septic system. Now, if you don't know what a septic system is, it's basically deals with the sewage coming out of your house if you're not connected to the sewer pit of (laughs) yeah so generally it goes to a big holding tank and then it goes from there and it kind of goes underground and dissipates under like leach fields and then it it leaches out the reason we do that sometimes is because that's kind of a big hurdle in some of these properties to make sure that they're buildable Mm -hmm. if you don't have it if you can't get a perk test 
If you can't get a positive perk test, then you're going to have uh, problems building in that property. Because what are you going to do with all this raw sewage unless you just put it in a big tank and have it pumped <laughs> like, out every week? I knew that word or was going to come out. you have a porta potty. I don't think that's feasible. I uh, mean, they have some other. You're, you're right. They have the above ground ones, but you do have to get them pumped. Right. It's not the same kind of it's thing. Messy so. business. <laughs> Want to learn the secret to building a thriving land flipping business? Head on over to landconquest.com and join over 2,000 passionate land flippers leveraging the power of community to scale quickly. Sign up for free at landconquest.com. All right, let's get back to the show. Oh, no. It says I, I was like dreading this conversation. I knew as soon as I came, you would have to do the poop jokes because you yeah, just couldn't control it's yourself. It's fun. But the thing is that a lot of places that you're buying the larger ones aren't on sewer. Right. So this is your only option. It's there. No one's going to let you build if you don't have a way to take care of sewage. Mm -hmm. We're not going back to the, you know, right. A long uh, hundreds know, of years I know, ago. I know many of these very rural areas that they just would dig like a pit and kind of pipe it into there. I, you know, I don't know. Weird. But, For some reason, that's not allowed anymore. Something no. about like disease control. and <laughs> No, considering it goes into the groundwater and then, you know, yeah. who knows where it goes. Where, you know, uh, people, people then use it and uh, pump it up in their well. Right. So. Did we ever talk about the story time we were in Jamaica and, and I, I thought we booked a tour of a like historic plantation to learn about history. And instead I booked us a tour of a working plantation, which uh -huh. was, worked out fine. It wasn't a plantation. It was more no. of like a fruit grower. Yeah. Fruit grower, a smaller fruit grower. It, it actually ended up fine. Mm -hmm. it, was yeah, it was fine. Cool. It was, it was cool. But as we were driving through the Hills, um, we were looking at the houses and, and he was saying, Oh yeah, the ones on the top, there are a lot more expensive than ones below. And I was like, Oh, the view. He's like, no, the water, it's clean water. Like mm -hmm. he's like, because they don't have those systems. I'm like, really? Like Jamaica doesn't no. So he was like, you know, the really rich people have the clean water and then the ones lower have to bathe and drink in the, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You could use some septic less, systems. Less clean as you get down the hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it makes sense, but it's just kind of, um, it, it makes a difference. People, if, if you're ready to build, also, if you're not someone who's like in this professionally and you just want to build a house. Your agent or who or the builders can say you have to make sure it perks. The right. city, the county is going to make say it has to perk. You could do the alternative systems, but I think it scares off a lot of people who don't really understand. Yeah, it. and generally those alternative systems cost more. But mm -hmm. some areas it's not an issue. Like it's you know perk test is almost a uh, positive soil evaluation is, is almost a given. But some areas it's a little questionable. So if you're buying a property, especially as something that really only has a use as a buildable type property like that's the that's what its main purpose is going to be mm -hmm. when you go to resell it and sometimes it's a good idea to get that done before you actually close you know, on, right. on the purchase so. and that's another thing where it's like if you've gotten that far you have really good signals that it's going to perk but there's a little bit question it's worth it to risk losing the money to pay for the perk test how much do you think they cost on average? I, it varies in different areas. Yeah, you know, like we generally pay eight hundred to a thousand dollars somewhere there, six hundred to a thousand, I guess you could say. Okay, and it, again, I mean, I know there's been times we've paid for them and it hasn't worked out, but that's like few and far between. I, I look at it as an insurance policy, especially mm -hmm. on on the lots where I know that it's only going to be a buildable type site and it's not big enough to be a recreational type property. In those situations, then you know we'll generally get a perk test done just to be safe. Right. Okay. Um, and then you you alluded to this before, but brush clearing, what what would that look like? Yeah, brush clearing is a is a real common one that we do. And, and I'm going to stop you and interrupt you because there's a difference between brush clearing and clearing trees. Oh, oh, you mean like clear cutting? Yeah, yes, yeah. And, yes. And we don't typically. Yeah, yeah. We don't clear cut, you know, forests or anything like that. That's 
I mean, I know that that's, uh, there's probably money to be made in some circumstances with that, but we, we don't go down that road. Brush clearing, though, we will do. And generally for access, you know, a lot of these properties that we purchase have been untouched by the current owners for many, many years mm-hmm. or unmaintained. So they may be just a raw forest, but they're kind of overgrown with brush and underbrush. And it's tough to even walk into the property to actually see what it is that you're you know, a potential buyer would, would be wanting to buy. So in those types of situations, generally we'll try to clear some paths from the road, you know, where they access the property, maybe some paths through the property. So a potential buyer could walk through the property and kind of take a look and say, okay, this is what we're buying. Much easier to sell in those type of situations. So, yeah. They could see where the home site would be. And I kind of consider it like overgrown weeds almost. Yeah. Yeah. You're just clearing You know, that, like, so. the, you know, some of these areas have like thorns and like brush that's kind of impenetrable, you know, so unless you have like a machete or something like that, <laughs> but people don't want to do that. Remember when we went out to North Carolina, I think it was North Carolina, one of those places, and we like lost you in a forest for a while. You, you had bought a I property. wasn't lost. We, we thought, thought I was were. lost, but I knew I was. I was like, okay, girls, you wait in the car. I'm going to have to go in and look for, look for your Heather's dad. Gonna come save me. Uh-huh. Exactly. You're like, there was this, you found a stream on the property. That's what it was. And you're right. following it. And right. it was like I a was cool. eight-year-old boy that forgot he had a family. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> I offered for you guys to come with me, but you decided not to. It was the it was the thorns. No, it was cool. You did take a bunch of pictures. Okay. Um, next is lot splits. I lot like splits. this. Yeah, so that's a great way to add value to a property. Now, typical, you know, just a basic example would be like say we bought a hundred acre property and then we split it into five 20 acre properties, and then we sold those 20 acre properties individually. And the reason you would do something like that is because generally you can get a better price per acre the larger the property is. So you buy a hundred acre property for two thousand an acre, you mm-hmm. know. So that would be two hundred thousand dollars. So say you split it into five twenty acre properties, and then after you split it, this is kind of an extreme example. Maybe you can get four thousand an acre. So then you just basically take that two hundred thousand dollar initial investment and you turn it into four hundred thousand dollars. Now you've got a little bit of expense in getting that lot split done, and it varies per area. You know, some areas you can get a minor subdivision done, meaning you could split it into five lots or less, and it's a pretty easy process. You hire a surveyor, you may have to get some perk tests done on each individual lot, but you know, generally it's a pretty easy process. So you'd have some expenses there, but that's a great way to add value. And it really depends on the area. Some areas it's very easy to get that stuff done. California, if you were to try that here, <laughs> it's gonna so take a while, and it's gonna be a very cumbersome process. Mm-hmm. And cost you a lot of money. But that's a great way in some areas to, to add some value. So lot splits. I agree with you. Like the lot splits in certain places, it makes sense, especially when you if you can get the big piece of land for a smaller amount, you'll make more over the long run, or at least you'll make as much, but you'll have more properties to sell because there's costs involved with that too. Right. Yeah. So you do, you have to, we talked about the surveys. We had to put a road in one time. Roads can be very expensive. And, uh, you know, so live and learn. You know, I don't want to put in roads unless I absolutely right. have to. It's not your favorite thing to do. Right. But I think it's also interesting because you can do a road in one area and you think, okay, the price will be similar. And it's not because there'll either be government fees or just the the materials right. will be different. I think also when you did that one, maybe materials were more expensive. Like Yeah, and the time. and the, Right, and the time too. And I was actually surprised how many people, like, I might have waited till the road was complete, like you know, sometimes builders have problems and stuff, mm-hmm. but you were able to sell the lots and then with just like, Hey, we're doing this. Right. Yeah. And, and it ended up working out the lots that really are best for it are the ones with a ton of road frontage. So then you can split it up and everyone's got a piece of 
the road, you know, right from the road, road directly. Road, so you don't have to put in the roads, but mm-hmm. you know, not all lots are like that. And sometimes you can get a really good deal on another parcel and it still makes sense to do it. But right. So you got to crunch your numbers. Right. But I think that just makes sense that like, you're looking at it in the sense of what can you do to squeeze more money out of each of these deals yeah. or to make a deal even happen like that. You might need to do that. Like it, it, the numbers wouldn't have made sense as much or at all to buy it as just one big chunk, just to resell it Yeah, or to sell faster. You know, like right. some of these properties, like it's, it's, takes longer to generally sell like a huge property. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you're able to split it up into multiple parcels, then it might be easier to sell. There's a bigger pool of buyers. Right. 100%. Because if someone who's going to be buying a big one is either going to be someone like you, that's going to do the some sort of value add or a builder, you know, and there's a lot of things Investor involved. or, you know, maybe uh-huh. someone looking for a huge farm or something like that. Right. And you do, but that's not normally the end. I mean, it is. And there's mm-hmm. like a, a big push on people looking for farmland mm-hmm. or just raw land that have never, that's never been touched. Right. You know, even in the Midwest, they're talking about that, how they're trying to redo the plains for, for the animals. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Okay. Anything else you wanted to add about that? No, I think we covered lots of what's pretty well. Okay. Um, and then the next thing you say is infrastructure. What do you mean by that? Infrastructure. Now that could be something like running utilities to a property. It could be installing a septic system in a property. It could be drilling a well mm-hmm. or, you know, setting, putting a water meter in a property, depending on what the area is. So any of these types of things where you make it pretty much ready to build, that's what I would consider infrastructure. In so like you've like moved that. it along the process. So if you're not selling to a builder, they would do all this kind of stuff, but to an end buyer who's going to build their dream home or whatever, mm-hmm. the more that you can have, the more that someone might feel more comfortable doing it. Yep. And even even a builder sometimes, I mean, they like these they like these lots as turnkey as possible for them so they could just get in and build the home. A lot of times putting in infrastructure takes time. Mm-hmm. So if you can get through that process and make it kind of serve it up in a silver platter for them, they're more interested in the property and it's just very, uh, just a better process for them and, and quicker for them to make money on the property as well. Right. And you, I guess you have like the more, com- not commercial in the sense of building commercial properties, but the commercial builder, someone who, who does, it's a big company. Mm-hmm. And then you have the smaller one that does, you know, maybe up to the five little subdivisions where they mm-hmm. build out those, where it'd be like more of an actual local builder per right. se that finds these deals. They do these. It's just, that's what their thing is. Yeah, exactly. So they would probably want that more often. So, yeah, so that, you know, it we don't do that type of thing a lot. But if you're if you're doing infill lots or, you know, you're doing like a minor subdivision or something like that, sometimes putting in that infrastructure in each of those properties would make sense to do it. Especially if you're someone in the field who mm-hmm. has expertise in that and knows it's it would be very simple. Like you probably could do it with your eyes closed. You know what I mean? Like, right. Okay. I want to get to trash and debris removal because we Mm. have faced this a few times. Yes. You know, a lot of these properties, uh, like we were talking about (laughs) earlier, they have been kind of unmaintained and untouched by their current owners for quite some time. They're kind of an afterthought. And what happens is with those types of properties in a lot of these rural areas is they just become dumping ground for people to, you know, get rid of their trash. You know, literally easier for them to dump it on you know, this property that they never see anyone on rather than, I guess, driving to the local dump and paying the 30 bucks to dump a pickup truckload of stuff there. Right. And then once someone does that, other people are like, oh, here's the local dump. Yeah. And that's why it's important to maintain. Like, you don't want to let a little bit on her. Yeah. So there are some unscrupulous people out there that do that. And unfortunately, as much as it pisses us off, you know, when we see it happen and we have, but you know, the thing is, it's better to deal with it. So Sometimes, I mean, it's pretty common for some of these properties to have some random debris or tires. junk on it or something like that. But yes, tires. Um, but a lot of times, 
if it's not bad, like if there's just minimal type trash on there, a lot of times we won't do anything with that. But if it's a if it's a major issue, it's a big issue, we will hire someone to go out there, clean the trash out so we can then do it as more of a retail situation rather than a bargain basement type sale. Right. You know, they talk about like even in houses when you go into it and if it's filled with clutter, they can't see the walls. All the people walk in thinking is like it's full of crap. They can't see it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why they talk about even staging it you know, making it neutral, all these things, the same kind of thing with land, like someone who's buying it for their own benefit, who's going to live there, they, they don't want to see that they no. want to imagine their future home and, and loving it. And I always go back to that same thing. Like we used to show houses to people, they'd walk in and they'd say, I, I can't buy this house. Like, oh, okay, what is it? Because we just like walked in the paint. Yeah. I like, I cannot stand this, this color paint. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my mind, like that is like a $200 fix. Like right. this is crazy. You love this house, but you can't get over the paint. And it's the same kind of thing. You, anything that you can mitigate to like help people see the potential in it. It could be a few hundred bucks to remove trash. It's yep. not a big, or it could be a lot more. It, it just depends. But um, it's also something to think about when you're buying the properties too. You know, you might want, not want to buy a property that has big oil yeah, oil drums, toxic yeah. waste, uh-huh. things like that, because that's that's more than just trash. Right. You're getting into hazardous waste disposal. And anytime you hear the term hazardous waste, uh, just think dollar signs. Yeah, because right. you're going to, I mean, to do it right, you're going to have to hire a company that specializes in that. And then they are going to have to dispose of it properly. And none of that stuff is cheap. It's going to be hazardous to your right. bottom line. Of course, you could hire Jimmy with a pickup truck to maybe come and do it. Uh, but that's not the right Don't thing. Don't do it. Yes, where he goes and pours it in the creek. You're killing me. And all the little frogs that are endangered <laughs> yeah, downstream. Yeah, terrible. So, anyway, yeah. so it's just, it's something like when you think about it, it might be like, don't be dumb with your dollars. And this, what is it like, penny wise, pound fuel? Pound penny, penny wise, pound fuel. You know what I mean? Like, if it's trash on there, it makes sense to do it. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's going to be like $1,000 and there's room in it. Yeah. And speaking of working. trash removal, we just had one where we got a notice from the city oh. when we bought the property, it didn't have any trash on it, but we owned it. Uh, we got a notice from the city, like a fine type situation. If we didn't remove this trash by a certain date, someone had come dump a bunch of trash on our property. So we had to hire someone to go fix it and take the trash off. And you know, now we don't get fined at least, but you know, what bothers me about that. The city mm. had our information, right? Could have been like, Hey, could this is code enforcement? I don't know if you're aware of this cause you just bought it and it's vacant land. This happens a lot because I work in code enforcement and I'm smart enough to know yeah. this happens a lot. Uh, it looks like someone's dumping trash, right? You know, I don't want to have to find you. Could you, yeah. Can you just, Oh my gosh. And yeah. we would have been like, no way. So sorry. Like did not know. Mm-hmm. We'll get we'll it take care of it. it. Yeah. But instead they're like, you know what? We could squeeze some money out of them because fun. Yeah. I don't know. It's just called being a human, but I guess. Yeah. They're oh, inhuman. Well. Going to find that. I didn't even know about this situation. Now you got me all riled up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Trash debris removal. Um, It's an easy way to add money to it. And then uh-huh. you said access improvement. And, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a little bit. So go into all that. Boost your land flipping earnings with our new land conquest business system. It's designed for efficiency and effectiveness. This cutting edge software tool is your key to success in the land flipping industry. Streamline and automate your operations to scale your business to new heights. With our system, you get a customizable website with six professional templates to choose from, up to five dedicated phone numbers, each with their own chosen area codes for creating a trustworthy local presence. And as a bonus, you'll get a $25 credit for SMS and email sends. You'll also get access to our tech team to build any automations or customizations that you want. And not to mention, we've got a great dedicated community to the Land Conquest business system. 
to help us all thrive together. And with every step of the way, you get our 24-7 live chat support. But that's not all. You'll also gain access to our exclusive community to connect and grow with fellow land flippers. Seize the opportunity to transform your business. Visit software.landconquest.com to check out the Land Conquest business system and unlock the next stage of your land flipping success. Yeah, access improvement. So one of the big things with these properties is being able to get to it. So ideally, you know, the best case situation is if you have frontage on a public roadway, you know, that's maintained by the city or the county or whatever the case may be. But sometimes they're down a dirt road and there might be an easement to get there or something like that. But the dirt road may be in horrible shape. And in those type of situations, it may make sense to pay someone to get out there and kind of re-smooth out the road, maybe put some gravel down if it made sense. Situations like that, you can add value to a property just by improving the access. You know, someone can then get down with the car rather than having uh, one of these monster trucks that they need to get down there to access right. the property or only ex- accessible with uh, by foot or by four-wheeler or something like that. Mm-hmm. So in those types of situations where you can clearly see uh, an access issue that could be solved, uh, it would make a lot of sense to invest a little bit of money to improve the access, and then you've improved the value of the property. In the Significantly. Process. Significantly. Because if, if they can't see it, if, and, and in their mind, if you're seeing it, and they're going to see it too, and they, it might even completely pass. Right. It'll sell quicker. It just makes sense. You know, and sometimes, you know, there's creative ways to do this sometimes too. So you don't have to, a lot of times, maybe these dirt roads are shared by numerous families or mm-hmm. num- numerous property owners. It's maybe not likely that they would chip in to, to actually help out and pay for those expenses. But it's at least worth maybe reaching out to them and saying, hey, I want to improve this road. You know, do you want to split the cost and we'll, we'll get it done? You know, they could tell you to go, you know, and, uh, and they might, but you who know, cares? pound sand or they could say, OK, yeah, I'll chip in. This this makes sense. You know, but before you just pay for it all yourself, which it still might make sense for you to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it might make sense to reach out to the neighboring property owners to see if you can get them to chip in as well. Yep. Just very, a thought. Very good. Okay. Um, and then the next thing you have is fencing, which is interesting because if it, there's a big upside on a vacant property that we own and mm-hmm. people keep dumping on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Maybe fencing would make sense, but there's other reasons why you'd put a fence up. Yeah. In some areas, it's really common. You know, some areas are very big with their fencing. The trash or the fencing? Uh, well, both, I guess. Okay. But some areas, you know, it's kind of common mm-hmm. to put up some sort of basic fencing. And some areas it's kind of unheard of. So you just got to, that's kind of a local thing. So in some areas, you know, you may be able to add some value by adding some fencing, but. Right. And I think some people like to see the boundary Mm -hmm. in a fence, you know, and it might be something like, oh, I wouldn't want to put the fence on this whole place. So we probably wouldn't buy it or, you know what I mean? Like. Everyone else has a fence. It's, it's these things that you just want to get over every hurdle possible to make yeah. it. As- what, that's one of the things that we've, like houses that we've bought, we've always put in fences. Right. And they say fences make great neighbors, but. It's true. I mean, uh, but, you know, we also like to be able to have our dogs run around without having to worry about where they're at and stuff. So. Or our kids. Or our kids. Yeah. Keep them fenced in. Certain times. Electric right? fence. It's horrible. We would never do that. Yeah. But I think it also, and security, even someone could jump a fence, but it still feels mm-hmm. more secure. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So look at what the neighbors are doing. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking of what, you know, what you're going to do this property to add value, what are the, what is the neighborhood? Yep. And look, look at like? the comps too. Right. See what, exactly. see what the, you know, uh, do properties with fences sell quicker? Mm-hmm. You know, are they more desirable? Are they getting a higher, you know, dollar per, per acre? You know, so mm-hmm. just just kind of see what's what's typical. Ask the local agents what's what's typical and what people are looking for. 
So Right. And then also don't like here, we would look at it and be like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so expensive, California numbers. But in other places, the fencing is not nearly as expensive. It's not the same mm-hmm. standards yeah. needed and stuff too. Okay. And then we're also talking about feasibility studies. So yes. what is that? And when would you get one? Yeah. Feasibility study. You know, this is common in some areas, some higher dollar areas, especially and in infill type lots, mm-hmm. and especially on lots that are non-standard, you know, like if it's a standard postage stamp type lot that's flat utilities there, I mean, you know that that's going to be a buildable, yeah, yeah, that's a buildable type lot. But in some areas where it could be a great view property, it could be overlooking the ocean, it could be something cool like that, where it could have the potential to be an awesome site, but there's a lot of kind of question marks, mm-hmm. like, uh, what type of engineering, what type of foundation, like all these types of things uh, come into play. Like you, you just don't know. So in the cases like that, you can hire an engineer that specializes in this to do a feasibility study to determine, in their opinion, if they think the property is buildable. Now, if you get a reputable engineer and you pay them to do this feasibility study and their opinion is the <laughs> site is buildable and they give the reasons why and all their research like that, that carries a lot of weight And that instantly improves the value of some of those properties. You know, especially if it's a property that maybe is very sloped or something like that. Could be very premium, but there's just there's just too many question marks about it. And, you know, no no buyer in their right mind would just like pay top dollar for something like that without without knowing that they can build on the property. So that, that's where a feasibility study might come into play. So a real premium type building lot in generally. We have cliffs here in Southern California that Definitely, you'd want to get one of those done. Right, yeah, definitely, like on the bluff of the mm-hmm. ocean. I mean, there's some mega awesome homes mm-hmm. on, right built on the cliff, but you need to be you know you need to know what you're doing in order to build in a location like that. Right, I mean, that's a lot of money. So, okay, so that could help you in, in a bunch of different things. Probably even like maybe swampy kind of places too. Like, mm-hmm. and it's different than a survey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, survey will do that. Different than yeah, a yeah, yeah. This is a, an engineer that will basically look at all aspects and determine in their opinion if they think the property is buildable. Right, and then there's soil scientists that just look at the soil. Yeah, yeah. So they'll they'll generally a lot of times bring in different specialists to do their own thing and kind of put the puzzle together. Okay. Okay, and then, you know, obviously permits, especially in some places where it takes six months to a year, if you can get that started. Exactly. Yeah, like that's a big thing here in Southern California. If you can, you know, if it's in a rural area and you know that you need a septic system, to get that actual septic permit mm-hmm. uh, is different than just getting a soil study done. Right. So you it's need like that. a step further. Yeah, it's like you, know? you need the soil scientist to look at it and say, okay it perks, then you have to take that to get the permit. Mm-hmm. Then once you get the permit, then you can get the person that's actually going to put the system in. Right. So once you have the permit, that's the green light to actually right. get the work done. Now, it's sometimes in some areas, it's just an over-the-counter thing to get the permit. So it doesn't you know, make a huge difference. But in some areas, it's a whole process to actually get that permit. And sometimes before getting the permit, they're going to push back and tell you that you need to get some different engineering done or different tests done, things like that. So in certain areas where it's very... Uh, cumbersome to get through some of those processes by doing the getting the actual permit you're going to be adding value to the property right and it's and they once you have the permit it's not like they're going to say no nope, you have to do it, it yeah the per, it's permitted yeah, you've got you're, the permit you're ready to do it. you're ready to go you got right. the green light so getting those permits sometimes is very um can, can be a very good value add type thing right around here this isn't as common but you have oil gas mineral search yeah so sometimes in some of these areas there's the land the actual physical land, and then there's oil, gas, and mineral rights. 
that go with that property. At least they did initially. Now, sometimes, you know, and some people sell off those oil, gas, and mineral rights to a different company who can then have the right to drill, mine for, you know, minerals or coal or whatever the case may be. So they've sold that off way back when. Uh, so obviously, you still have the land, but it's not worth as much if you don't have those actual rights that go with it. Because, I mean, the main thing is for a lot of these people is they don't want gas wells and things on their property, you know, down right. the road. Or they don't want someone coming in and saying, oh, we're going to start mining for coal now. <laughs> um, so, right. I mean uh, so they would have typically they would have the right to do that. Now, obviously, coal is not going to be, you know, new coal mines are probably not going to start up anytime here in the near, near future. But there's different minerals that they could they could mine for if they have the mineral rights, uh, stone, rocks, things like that. The other thing that comp complicates this is sometimes you know exactly what the situation is. Hey, this this company owns the oil, gas, and mineral rights. It was sold off of the state. And, you know, it shows up in the title search or the owner knows it, the information about it. But sometimes properties passed down through the years. And maybe those oil, gas, and mineral rights were sold off 50 years ago, and no one has that information. Obviously, the company that owns that probably has that in their database somewhere that they own those rights. But you can hire a company to actually clarify that situation for you. They'll actually, they know where to search. They know how to do these, these type of in-depth searches regarding the oil, gas, and mineral rights, and to get you a more concrete answer of what the situation is. Like, we did that on a recent property. There was some question mark on whether the oil, gas, and mineral rights stayed with the property or if it was sold off in some time in the past. We did that search. I think it was 800 bucks, something like that. And they were able to confirm that those rights had not been sold off to someone else in the past. So we were then able to use that in our marketing and say, hey, this, this property is more valuable because we know that the oil, gas, and mineral rights will convey with, uh, with the property. Right. In some areas, it's common that mm -hmm. would happen. Um, me personally, I would have a hard time buying a house that's or buying a property that I'm going to build a house on when I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Even if, I mean, the likelihood of them coming for the coal is very, very low. Some people wouldn't care, mm -hmm. right. wouldn't, but you're not going to get as much money. And, yeah. And it depends on the situation. Like mm -hmm. sometimes there's absolutely no mineral value to a certain area, so it's never really going to happen. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, you know, sometimes the situation is different. So it's, it's better to have that certainty. Right. Um, Either way you need to know. Have you heard of any of them where people have tried to buy back the rights? Oh yes, that's common. Mm -hmm. So yep. they go to these companies and yeah, and and buy them back. Yep. And then also there are people that only deal in oil, gas, and mineral rights. So they basically trade these rights just like we're buying and selling land. They're mm -hmm. buying and selling. They identify those types of things, and then they create value and you know packaging maybe multiple properties together and then reselling it to a larger company. You know. Who knows? But it's interesting. I mean, yeah. it's another new There's lots of ways to make money in right. with land. Right. And if you're interested in that, you mm -hmm. know, it, that might be a um, tunnel to go down. I don't know. Yeah. No pun intended or pun yeah. intended. And then, okay, let's see here. So we, we covered all of that. Um, and then you say annexation. Yeah. So what about changing zoning? It's not um, in bold print. Okay. Yes. I messed up. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you have to bold print it for me. Okay, yeah. we can talk about changing zoning first. Yes, changing zoning. Okay. I actually like changing zoning. Yeah, this is a really uh -huh. cool that way to add value sometimes. Now, each property, you know, in most areas have some sort of zoning associated with them. So it could be, you know, so here, here would be a good example of this. Say you have this large property, it's zoned agricultural, but it's like in the path of progress. Like people are, love this area. There's a lot of demand for housing there. It's a large property. Agriculture isn't 
you know, the highest and best use of the property, but potentially it would be a great spot for a residential subdivision. So in a situation like that, you could then take, you know, fill out an application with the county where they have a process in order to do this in most situations. And you could petition to change that zoning to a zoning that would allow for a residential subdivision. Now, if you got that property zoning changed from agricultural to a residential subdivision zoning, it could be a a tremendous value add type situation because agricultural is just agricultural. You know, you could use it for forestry or farming or things like that, but you're not going to be able to put, uh, you know, 100 homes on this, you know, on this 30 acre property. Mm -hmm. But if you change the if you change the zoning, then instantly, you know, the property is going to be very appealing to maybe a builder or something like that. And you can charge a lot more money for it. So you're adding value by simply doing paperwork with the county pretty much. So there's a, it's more than just filling out a form. In a lot of these cases, you have to hire an engineer, you have to, you know, do some studies and things like that. But you might even go before a board meeting, you, go before you know, a board, you, know you have to notify neighbors and things like that. So it's not a very easy road mm-hmm. to go sometimes, but if you know what you're doing or you have team members, you know, maybe an engineering firm or something like that that's done this process before, or they know they can get something like that through, those are great ways to add values to value to a property. So even just understanding zoning is, can really help you make money because based off of the continuing education classes I took for my real estate license 20 years ago, yes. you know, every single piece of land is zoned already. Mm-hmm. It all has to be zoned. But some of it's literally zoned, no zoning. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not the term they use. And you've had some like that. Oh, yeah. We have a, we've had a lot of properties mm-hmm. in some of these rural areas that have no zoning. You can do whatever you want. With right. It. I mean, it's zoned, no zoning. Like, it still has okay. zoning. Right. But it's zoned, no zone. <laughs> that sounds really ridiculous. But I think that you're, the knowledge of that, and I, it's something that we talked about before, too, is that something that's a zoning, um, you know, Alyssa is zoning here might mean something different somewhere else. Right. Might have the same acronym or the same whatever, R1 or whatever. It could be different there. Yeah. So really understanding that zoning, you might be able to find hidden gems just because of that. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, you. it's not easy. That's why. But there's a huge upside to changing the zoning. It's going to cost money. It's going to take time. But if you can get it done, it could be a gold mine. Yep. Could be de- definite gold mine. And, you know, each situation is different, too, because it's all like putting these puzzle pieces together. Certain properties may make sense to change them from one zoning to like an industrial zoning or something, right. or maybe it makes sense to change it to the residential subdivision like we talked about. But you have to be creative. You have to look at the situation, look at the big picture as a whole. And what does uh, the area need? Yeah, what is the area? Yeah, know, like what does the area need? Like what what's what's going to be like the highest and best use of that property? Mm-hmm. And if you can present it in a way that makes sense, and you've got a local zoning board that kind of is um, buying into your plan, yeah. yeah, then then maybe you can get it done. Right. So it's not a guarantee. It's not for the weak of heart. Mm-hmm. Weak of heart? No. Yeah. Faint and, of heart? And, yeah. And don't try to like pay off these people or anything like that. You hear stories of that, you know? And maybe it does happen. I don't know. I'm sure. But like, I wouldn't be the type that gets, I like to follow rules. Yeah. And, and that's the whole And it's thing. probably illegal to do something like that. Well, I mean, like that. that's the big thing. Yeah. Yes. It's definitely illegal. So don't do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, you hear all crazy things, but I think that that's a, if you can do it, it's, it would be a very good way. Uh-huh. Um, okay. And then now, now let's talk about annexation. Okay. Annexation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually a similar process. Mm-hmm. We have a, a property that we purchased and it's actually part of the county. But it's right on the border of a city, mm-hmm. like a city uh, jurisdiction. 
where the city has utilities, they have water service, they have sewer, all this stuff. The county, it's it's um, unincorporated. It's unincorporated. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So when you incorporate, you turn into a city in some. Uh huh. Yeah. So it's part of this. It's just outside of the city limits. Mm-hmm. It's right on the border. So I actually considered in this case to p- potentially annex it to the city. And essentially, it's a it's maybe a similar process to the zoning. But I think in a lot of cities, they're going to be mo- way more open to that than changing the zoning because. Anytime that they could expand their area, and there many of these cities are actively looking to grow, mm-hmm. they're very open to that because that means more revenue for them. Obviously, for you, being annexed in the city, you might be able to create a lot of value just because you'll then have access to all the utilities. It might, the city being in within the city limits might carry a, you know, a higher value for the land, just mm-hmm. being part of the city if it's a desirable city. It's a process to go through a paperwork process and those types of things, but generally it, it could be, it could be a good positive depending on what the situ- exact situation is. Yeah. I, I mean, and I don't think a lot of people would even consider that or think about that, mm-hmm. um, but it hundred percent can make sense because then you have access to the utilities, you get all the benefits, they get the future revenue. Right. And when you annex to the city too, then the zoning gets set at that time as well. So right. you might say, okay, I want to annex mm-hmm. into the city, but I need to have this residential subdivision zoning in order for it to make sense for us. Right. So it's kind so. of a mutually uh, agreed upon contract almost. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then it gets into like, um, should you do this? Like, when does it make sense to do any of these things as opposed to just being a convenient buyer for these sellers, buy it, yeah, list number, it, well, flip it, you know? Yeah. A number of things I look at, first of all, I run the numbers, mm-hmm. you know, does it make sense? Like if I, if I put $5,000 into clearing brush for a property, Will I be able to sell the property for ten thousand more or mm-hmm. more than I originally would have? The other big thing is not just the numbers, but it's the time. You know, because time is money in these land flips. So I generally try to not do things that take a long time because then we're holding on to these properties for way longer than I would like, and I'd rather sell it for a little less and move it quicker rather than you know holding on to a property for an extra 6 months in order to make another you know $5000 off of it just right. wouldn't make sense right because i mean that's squeezing every dime out of it which is cool but we can make much more money if it's if we're constantly moving, moving that money. money yeah so those are kind of the big things i mean time mm-hmm. and also the cost and will the cost make sense dollars and cents wise so it just comes down to like kind of creating that spreadsheet looking at all the the different pieces and saying okay yes or no mhm yeah Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think the more you do these things, you might consider doing them. Right. And certain areas are really, you'll get into a groove in certain areas. You'll know that like, okay, this area is great for. Are you looking for funding for your land flipping deal? Then head on over to partnerwithpete.com. It's an innovative new funding program where we split the profits with you 50-50, but we take it one step further and we handle every other step of the process in the land flipping business. Yes, that means we handle all the due diligence. If the property needs any value add like clearing brush, perk test, survey, we'll get that paid for up front. Then when the property resells, We split the profits 50-50. There is absolutely no downside for you as an investor. If we lose money, we don't pass that on to you. But when we make money, when we make profit, we split the proceeds 50-50. So as a recap, we handle every part of the process. We split the profits with you 50-50. There's no downside for you as the investor, only upside. So go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and we'll get it checked out within 24 hours you know, doing perk tests Mm -hmm. or this area is great for minor subdivisions. 
you know, so you'll get into a groove, you'll get a little experience with one of these value adds and you'll see how it works and you'll see what makes sense. So then you'll kind of look for those opportunities over and over again. Right. You're like, every single time I list one a property with a perk test, it goes super quick. Right. And I have this other one. I haven't done it. Exactly. And it stays yeah. So you get experience. And a good go. agent or broker should be able to tell you that too. Like, yeah. hey, if you can get this perked, which you should have no problem, but everyone around here, they're more like ready to build kind of people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're like the people who want the neutral paint. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So final segment, we're going to do some rapid fire question and answers because we kind of went a little long on the other. First of all, before we get into these questions, mm -hmm. these questions are coming from our land conquest, land flipping community. And if you haven't joined the community, just go to landconquest.com and there's some orange buttons on that site. Just press one of those orange buttons, sign up real quick and join us over there because this is really getting to be a real flourishing community. We've got flourishing. We're using flourishing. Big words. I, well, you know, I try to, I don't understand what those words Fancy mean, words, yeah. but, <laughs> but there are lots of experienced investors in there. There are lots of brand new investors in there and people looking to learn how to do this land flipping thing that we're always talking about. And as another side note, my free training program, and I hate to use the word free because it's an extensive training program, will be available for free in the community very soon. I'm getting very close to getting this done, Heather. I know I keep talking about it, it's like a broken record, but it's actually getting very close. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I'm so excited the way it's turning out. Don't follow it. Don't? Okay. Don't not, follow not the yet. white light? Yeah. Okay. No, yeah. I mean, now, especially now that we're moved over, we got this, you'll be buckled down and getting that done, and I'll, I'll make sure. But yeah, I, okay. I'm excited because you're not just skipping through it and just pushing it out you're actually making sure it's perfect and right that's yeah it's, i'm not putting out any junk heather nope no way yeah so where do they find it again go to landconquest.com okay and do follow the orange big button and it'll take you to the community yes um, and there's people of all elements in there like different elements now that's a weird thing all levels of land investing mm, learning yes. doing mega volume um, side job kind of thing. And we're there too. Yep. So come join us. Okay. So first question is from Melody. She says direct mail undelivered letters. When using a mailhouse sending letters, sorry, where does all the undelivered letters um, get returned to? Yeah. So what we do with all of the letters that we mm -hmm. send out, we send them standard mail. So what happens with standard mail is you don't get those undeliverable mail returned. You're not paying for the, the return service. Right. If you pay for first class stamp, which is going to cost you a lot more, mm -hmm. you will get those returned. And then you could potentially build a list and skip trace those people and get the current address and then send them out letters. And that may be a really good list. But yeah. I don't think dollars and cents wise, it, it makes uh, much sense. Maybe it's something we could test on a small sample, but... Generally, you can send out a lot more mail if you just send out everything standard class. And in those cases, I think that probably the mail just goes back to the post office and they shred it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, it doesn't get back to you. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's basically it just goes into Neverland at the post office. Those could conceivably be valuable leads only because no one else is reaching them. Mm -hmm. But how often is that really happening? Because if, if the tax record's wrong, the uh, public record's wrong, are they getting their taxes? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Okay. Don't know. So Justin says, I'm getting started in land flipping with $20,000. If you had $20,000 to start your land flipping venture, would you A, spend the money on the mail targeting properties in the twenty dollars to 80000 range and reach out to the land conquest community to find a funding partner? Mm -hmm. I feel like we need a little like ding when someone says land, land conquest. Yeah. Or B, spend five to 10000 on mail targeting less expensive properties like the 8000 to 12000 
and use the remaining funds to purchase the first property and slowly build up the sale of this property. Take it away, Pete. I would say A, because, you know, if you find a deal, there are people that will partner with you. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't really be as concerned with the actually paying for the property yourself at this point, because if you can find the deal, there will be plenty of partners there. We'll be a partner. If it's a deal, we'll partner with you. You heard it here. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, so I want to kind of stress that you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck by, I think, just trying to get more deals, like spending your money on that mail and marketing and trying to get as many deals as you can. So that would be that would be my suggestion. I mean, if we use your budget on that. Right. If we broke it down, let's say you are able to get one and you just have to keep like catapulting yourself up or if you mm -hmm. can get a bunch and then you split it, like you could easily turn that into a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars with partners, you know, like where it's actually your money. It would take you probably a third of the time as if you were having to parlay so, Say it. you got one deal was a $200,000 property. Okay, so ruin my whole thing and okay. go for a big, big, okay. Okay, well, I'm just using an example. Say you got one <laughs> deal so that, was, you. that was a $200,000 property. <laughs> uh -huh. It was a deal, you know, right. it's really worth 400,000. You bought it for 200,000. You got a partner to put up the money mm -hmm. and then you split the profits. So you sold it for 400,000. There's a hundred thousand profit each. So mm -hmm. then you each get a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, folks, Wouldn't you heard me quote a hundred thousand dollars and Pete has to just one up it. Okay. His personality, but that's exactly it. It's the, the whole thing is that if you are worried about, not worried, if you spend your time finding the deals, you can find the money. Right. Whereas if you're trying to do the whole thing on $20,000, which is totally feasible in both ways, fine. It's just they your are. comfort level. They are. You're just no asking for deal. our advice. That would be our advice. Yeah. Um, okay. Mark says, how to create a mailing list. Is there a section or place where I can get better details on how to create a mailing list? I've seen references to setting up filters, et cetera, with things like PropStream, but as an absolute novice with that, I am not seeing how to create the list unless I search one by one. That would be crazy. It would be great to find the prod. He didn't say that I did. It would be great to find the podcast or post that talks to screening for county activity, uh, listing and closes, and then how to create a list there. Can someone point me to a direction? I'm so ready to dive into the training program, but going nuts on not getting started with setting up the foundation. Thanks. Can you imagine if you had to pull property one Each by one, one by one, yeah. But you wouldn't. Yeah, that would be that would be a tough road to go for sure. Although you know what, like thousand years ago, that's what we did. Remember looking through the tax records, like mm -hmm. yeah, or ML, old MLS records, like yeah. one by one. So what does Mark do? Well, Mark, you mentioned PropStream is a great way to do you call it PropStream. I I uh, slurred my words. I guess <laughs> I should lay off the the beverages and the uh, the coffee the <laughs> coffee in the morning. About? I'm just no, joking you around. need more coffee. Yeah, I need more coffee. Anyhow, prop stream, prop stream <laughs> is a great option, uh, Mark. And prop stream will allow you to create these lists in bulk. So right. you set the filters. You know, generally we're kind of, you know, at, at a sort of basic level, you're looking at pulling the county. Mm -hmm. You're looking at pulling the acreage sizes. And then, you know, you might choose some other variables on there. Basically, obviously, vacant land only in our situation. And some other type of variables that, that we go in more depth in the training program. But you're creating this list and then you're exporting that list. And then you're kind of go from there and kind of take out some of the, you know, the um, records that you know are not going to sell to you. It could be the, you know, owned by the railroad or could be owned by a utility or something like that. So you'll, you'll take out some of those basic ones. But that's, that's the, 
the general gist of how you're going to create. So this. the software is going to do it. And then the training program is going to tell you how we best use the software. Yeah. How we use our filters and, and, you know, and then obviously you can go to whatever you can filter further or less or whatever you want to do, but kind of experiment that. Okay. We've got one last question. You have okay. like literally a minute to answer this. Okay. Jack says negotiate our first disposition or not. We just got our first offer on the first property we've bought. We're very happy with the offer. Their only request was for us to flag the property lines. Our agent estimated this would cost $2,500 to $4,000 to have the survey done. I'm ready to do it and get it closed, but I know Pete mentioned on last week's podcast to always have some kind of pushback to not scare the buyers. Should I be asking the buyer to split the cost of the survey for that reason or just accept since I'm good with the current offer? Yeah, so that's a good question. That's that's a great question. And we did uh, cover that recently. We always push back in some way. It doesn't even have to be a huge pushback. So you could obviously go back and ask for them to split the survey costs. Mm -hmm. You could also go back and say... We'll let you uh, do it, but you pay. Yeah, exactly. You could also go back and say, okay, we'll do it, but not to exceed 2500 Right. Or you can go back and just counter something else. Like maybe they said 45 days to close, and mm-hmm. you go back and you say 30 days to close. Mm-hmm. Just something. It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't even have to be with that you know, in regards to that exact situation, that thing they're asking right. for. Just something so they still something. feel like they... They're winning. Right, exactly. It's a psychological type Mm -hmm. thing. It sounds stupid. It really does. And you're probably, I know your gut instinct is to just accept it because it's good, but, and it might go great. It might go great. But if you push back a little bit and they bail, then they were going to bail anyways. That's, that's a great point. You know, you know that they want the property. If you push back in something small Mm -hmm. and then they go for it, that you know that they actually want the property. Right. And if they bail on that, don't feel bad because they would have bailed anyways. Yeah, exactly. They would have wasted your time, so you just saved time. Right. Okay, well, this is a good place to stop. I think that was a great question, too, because it kind of wrapped up all the the value-add stuff, things people could ask for. We hope you enjoy the new studio, even though it looks exactly like the old studio. (laughs) Yes. And Pete's going to have Land Conquest, the training program, which will be free. Yep. Training program, which will be free, not the free training program. Very soon. Very soon. Yeah. And we will see you guys in the community. So find us again, landconquest.com. Yeah, landconquest.com. Yep. Click the orange button to see the community. And then you can follow Pete on Instagram at Reese Peter and Twitter. Twitter, Pete Reese. I'm not as big on Twitter, but that's hilarious. Reese what? Peter and Pete Reese. That's great. Anyways, have a good one. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. And if you're ready to start turning profit yourself, visit our website at turningprofit.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please help spread the word by sharing it with a friend. See you on the next episode.